You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you. So great to be here. My name is Rasmus, and this is part of the Timothy Project, where Pastor John lets me and some other young guys preach here. And uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, Thank you, moms, for everything you do for us. Yeah. And um, as you can hear, I'm not from around here. (laughs) I come from a country named Denmark. And uh, maybe you're thinking, where is that? Uh, Is that the capital of Germany or something? (laughs) Let me show you on a map, okay? Here it is. This is Denmark. It's in northern Europe in what's called Scandinavia. That's where the Vikings came from, okay? But don't don't worry. I didn't bring my axe today. I left it in the car. I didn't want to scare y'all. I was actually... uh, I was actually just corrected that if you speak to more than two people, it's all y'all. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, if you want, you can call me the Viking. You can also call me the Great Dane, since I'm a Dane, uh, even though most of the time I'm just a mediocre Dane. Uh, I'm a college pastor in uh, my church, my Baptist church in Denmark, and a theology student. And I came here four months ago to study and to... um, yeah, to learn from John and from you guys in this church. And uh, so I've been following Pastor John around to staff meetings, uh, lunches, standing next to his bed while he was sleeping, just taking notes. Uh, I learned a lot. It's great. And I know you're thinking, what's up with that accent? Is he really from Denmark or is he from Minnesota or something? Uh, And I hope you at least understand most of what I'm saying today uh, with my Danish, English, my Denglish. If you want translation into English, you can get it at the back. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but hey, what's up with y'all's accent here? Howdy, partner. <laughs> I'm fixing to go to HGB. Y'all want to join? <laughs> well, I've enjoyed being here in Texas. It's my first time in the States and I'm heading home to uh, stay home, but I've enjoyed it so much here. The warm weather, the southern hospitality, the trucks, the cowboys, and even the big drinks. You know, my first day here, I went to Whataburger, and I just ordered a medium-sized Coke for my meal. And you know what I got? A barrel. (laughs) Well, everything is bigger in Texas. And I was told, there's free refill. Um, But even though I've loved it here, I miss home. Um, I also have a girlfriend back home that I really miss. And I have my family and my friends and my apartment and my church and my job in the church and so on. I feel like the hobbit, you know, who went on an adventure and who's now headed back home to the Shire where everything is <laughs> beautiful. And, and so because I'm actually flying out of Texas in two days. So, yeah, my plan here is to say something very controversial and just leave. <laughs> Hightail it out of here. And then leave all the mess to Pastor John. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. What I do want to share today is something I genuinely love to talk about. I've preached a lot about this in Denmark, but you all have never heard me uh, preach before, so I get to preach my favorite sermon here. 
Uh, we're in our foundations series, and we're looking at the important foundations of Christianity. And today we're going to look at the foundation of hope. And in your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to camp today. And while you turn there, let me tell you this. In Denmark, it's hard to be a Christian. We are a minority now. And um, even though Denmark historically was a Christian country and still officially is, I would not say it's so anymore. We might have around 2% going to church on Sundays. And my experience is that if you are a Christian, you are looked down upon. And so new atheist societies have appeared to fill in the gaps for weddings and funerals and so on. And one of these atheist societies, I'm actually investigating in my studies. And I've looked at their funerals to see how they talk about death. And you know, at a funeral, they will say directly that this is the end of this life. There is nothing more for this person who just died. There is no life after death. They say that directly. And then they have this ritual of lighting a candle at the start of the ritual. And then at the end of the ritual, they blow it out. As a symbol of life, that life is beautiful while it's there, but it will end at one point or another. And their good news is, that when you know this, that life ends, you will be more thankful for life while you have it. And I don't know about you, but I think that's sad. I don't think there's any hope in that. And I don't know if you really believe that there is more. I know we might say that, but do we actually live lives where we think about that and live as though it's true? Or do we live as those Danish atheists? as though life is going to end, so we better make the most of it. But is there no greater hope than that? Yes. And today we're gonna to see that in this wonderful chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible. Paul writes to this church in Corinth, a messy church, new church, confused. They have a lot of questions and Paul is writing to them to help them understand something very important. And he begins this chapter by saying, verse one, now I would remind you, brothers, remind you, oh, how we tend to forget. Isn't it true? And we need to remind each other as brothers and sisters in the faith. Of what? Of the gospel. That is the good news that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. That's past, present, you stand here now, and future. You're still being saved until the last day. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you're not holding fast to this word, you will believe in vain. You won't stand on the foundation. And I think this is a word to some of us today. Hold fast to the word. Come back to what you know is true. What you experienced with God. What he said to you. What he did for you. Come back to that. Remember what he did. And then what is this gospel, this good news that we should hold on to? Verse 3. For 
I deliver to you as a first importance. There is something that is more important than anything else in Christianity. And that is, he says, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And stop there. Do you know what's most important in Christianity? It's not a thing. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. And we have just celebrated this at Easter. How this God loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And maybe you're thinking, we know that Rasmus. We've been told that so many times. Tell us something new. But if that's your attitude, maybe you need to hear this again. This is the most wonderful news there is. This is the most historic event in human history. May it never be be a cliche for us. This is wonderful. There is nothing like this love. And we have just celebrated how this God, Jesus, rose from the dead. And Paul wants to explain this further in this chapter. He wants to celebrate it too. And he gives us three truths that we are going to look at today about this resurrection. The first one is, That Jesus did really rise from the dead. And then he starts arguing for it. He gives five arguments. The first one is that the resurrection was prophesied. In verse 4, it says that the resurrection is in accordance with the scriptures. That means that the Old Testament had prophesied this. I want to give you a few examples here. And you can just look at the screen behind me. Uh, Psalm 1610 was written about a thousand years before. And um, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is the realm of death, or let your Holy One see corruption. This is written by King David. But as the Apostle Peter explains later, this cannot be about David himself. Because he saw corruption, right, in his body while he was in the the earth, right? He died and he's still dead. This is about the Holy One, it says. And who's that? That is the King, the awaited King, the Messiah who should come. The people have been waiting for. And he will not see corruption. He will rise from the dead. Or see the famous passage of Isaiah 53 written around 700 years before Christ. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. So does this fit with Christ that we know? Yes. He was crushed. He was put to grief. Made an offering for our guilt, right? But he would see his offspring, his people. And his days would be prolonged. Jesus' days were prolonged into eternity, right? When he rose from the dead. To never die again. This is wonderful. I think this is a really good argument Paul is making. But I've heard people object to this. Some people say, someone has just written the Bible. You know, sat down. I've heard this in Denmark. People say this to me. Just sat down, wrote the Bible so it all fit together. And then you have Christianity and people believe it. Boom, right? But no, we have proof that this was written before Christ. 
We found the Dead Sea Scrolls and different stuff to prove that it was written before. Um, and this should strengthen our faith. It's written hundreds, even a thousand years before. Wow, prophesying this. And there are over 300 prophecies about Christ that he fulfilled. Very specific. That's wonderful. Then Paul gives us a second argument. He says, it was the same body before and after his death and resurrection. He says this in the next verse here. And Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. And they could recognize him. These people, they saw his holes in the hands and the feet and in his side. It was the same body. Some people object and say, well, Rasmus, couldn't it just be, you know, um, a twin or something? Who just looked like him and said, hey, I'm Jesus. I rose from the dead. <laughs> But no, remember the holes and that these people could recognize him. Others say that then maybe he just didn't die for real. But yes, he did. Have you heard the story of how he died? It was so brutal. And these Roman executioners were professionals. They knew what they were doing. The third argument Paul gives is that over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. Paul writes in verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. At one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is amazing. Paul is saying many of these people are still alive. Just go and ask them. Right? That's what he says. But some object and say, well, maybe these people really loved Jesus and really wanted him to live. So they just hallucinated, thought he had risen from the dead. Woo! <laughs> But that makes no sense. Over 500 people don't do that at the same time. And the Bible says they ate with him. And he had the holes and they might have touched him. I mean, he was there for real. The fourth argument is that even his family was convinced. Paul writes in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. James is the brother of Jesus. And the Gospels tell us that James and some of the other brother, brothers came to pick up Jesus at one point because they thought Jesus was, was nuts. <laughs> they thought he was crazy, saying he was the son of God and all this. So they wanted to bring him back home, right? But then what happened? Well, James met the resurrected Jesus himself. And he started worshiping him. His own brother. And Acts tell us that his mom Mary was a part of the church as well. And I'm thinking, who can fool your own brother and mom about such a thing rising from the dead? You don't do that. It must have been real. And the fifth argument Paul gives us is that even some of Jesus' enemies were convinced. Paul writes this, Verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You know, Paul hated the Christians. Why in the world would he believe that Christianity is true? Well, if he met the, the risen Christ, that's why, <laughs> right? And I think this is five These are five good reasons for believing in the resurrection. And there are many other reasons, but this is enough for now. And I don't know if you believe this. 
I didn't believe this myself um, before I was moved by God and met by him. Let me tell you my story. Um, I became a Christian as a teenager. And before that, I had had a tough childhood with my parents getting divorced and a chaotic family during that time. And I was broken and angry inside and I became the bully at school. I went to the principal's office so many times and was almost kicked out of school. Uh, in the public, I was stealing and vandalizing things. And at one point, the police arrested me and some other guys. I was bad influence and I didn't really have any real friends. So I looked for satisfaction everywhere I could, you know. In entertainment, it didn't help. In porn, it only made it worse. Nothing helped. And then I had suicide thoughts because I didn't have any meaning with my life. And where should I go? But then I got this friend who invited me first home to himself. He became my friend and he invited me to church. And I didn't really know about church. <clears throat> you know, churches can be kind of boring, I thought. And well, okay, I went with him. He was my friend, right? So I went with him. And it was interesting at that church. They had something that I might have been looking for. And I became friends with one, some of the teenagers there and I kept on coming. I thought it was kind of irritating that they were always talking about Jesus. <laughs> But you know, it was a church, so it was part of it, right? I had to accept that. But after some time, I started listening to the sermons and the worship songs. And this story they were telling me about this Jesus, this God who created me and loved me so much that he gave his life for me. And that he was powerful enough to rise from the dead and give me an eternal hope of eternal life. Wow. I was moved by this. And then I remember this one church service where we were invited to come to the front and kneel. Like John just invited you. And I knew I had to do it. God had been calling me for some time, but I was nervous, right? Especially as a teenager, thinking, what do the others think if I go out of the row? But I knew I had to do it. So I did it, and I came forward and kneeled down. And right there, I just met God. It's hard to explain, but he was there, and he was calling me. And around that time, something happened in me. I remember my classmates being surprised at my behavior. One of my classmates said, Rasmus, why are you so suddenly nice to people? <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, didn't think about that. Well, maybe because I started believing in that Jesus guy they had telling me about in the church. And they didn't believe it. <laughs> More than half my class came to my church to see what that was about, right? Rasmus had changed. What happened, right? And later on, God called me to become a pastor and to share this wonderful hope God has given me, that there really is hope, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And that's also Paul's first point in this chapter, that Jesus did really rise from the dead. And um, I wish we could read the whole chapter here. We can't, we have to skip some verses. Um, but I want to encourage you all to read the whole chapter this week, study it, dig into it, enjoy it, and praise God for it. It's just a really wonderful chapter. So in these next verses, Paul explains further how he was changed. And then he comes to his second point. That our faith either stands 
or false with Christianity. And this is serious. And to see Paul's point, let's jump to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Okay, so Paul is saying, imagine if we were wrong, Christians. Jesus, imagine if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Imagine if the atheist society was right. Then what? Wouldn't the faith still be worth something? Paul says, no, your faith is futile, he says. It's worth nothing. You would still be full of sin and with no hope. Why? Well, he says, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Then the Christians who died are just gone. And the atheists were right. And there is no life after death. And then he says, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, Christians are a bunch of fools if they're wrong. But why? I mean, wouldn't we still have lived a good life just believing in some God who didn't exist? Well, Paul says no. He says you should pity the Christians because, you have, because the Christians have invested their whole life in this truth. Their time, their money, their life choices, and they've taken up their crosses to follow Jesus. But if all this was for nothing, it was the most stupid life you could live. That's what Paul says. But then here comes the wonderful news in the next verse. Are you ready for it? Verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah, church. As the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Friends, Christ is alive. And we're not investing our lives in downward falling stocks. We're investing our lives in the most secure stocks in the world. We know we will rise from the dead. Because Christ rose as the first fruits. That is, the first part of the harvest before the rest of it comes in. That we will rise like Jesus did. So this is Paul's second point. Christianity does stand because Christ stood up from the grave. We will be raised from the dead. And in the next verses, Paul explains how we will rise from the dead and how wonderful that is. We'll have to skip that and we can ask this question. What does this mean for us today? And this leads us to Paul's third and last point. Bet your life on the resurrection. Let's jump to verse 30 where Paul says, Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Paul is saying goodbye to his lovely life, to the lovely life he could have lived. He does that every day. He dies to himself. And then he gives this example. Verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? These beasts were people who persecuted him. And Paul says, what did I gain from that if there is no resurrection? But if there is, it's worth it all. Because Christ will repay me in the next life. 
But he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's the best life strategy there is if there is no resurrection. Enjoy life while you have it, right? This could have been the motto of the Danish atheist society. Eat and drink for tomorrow you die. But friends, if there is a resurrection, that changes everything. Do you really believe that there is a resurrection? Do you you believe that there's, there's another life, that Christ rose from the dead, that you will see him, that you will be repaid by him for your investments in eternity as he promised you throughout scripture? And if you believe it, do you live it? Are you betting your life on the resurrection? Before starting at seminary, I remember this one incident, incident in my uh, secular school back home in an English class where my teacher suddenly asked us, do any of you know exactly what your reason to live is? And man, I knew the answer to that one. <laughs> But I was nervous. I'm no hero. I, uh, even though my, my classmates knew I was a Christian, I was thinking, hmm, what will they think if I say something here, you know? But I slowly raised my hand. But one of the other, uh, one, actually one of my good friends, who's not a Christian, he was um, taken first and he said, well, no, there is no more, there is no meaning with life, he said. There is only the meaning you create yourself. And the others agreed with him. And I was still sitting there with my hand up. And then it was my turn and I said, well, I believe there is a meaning with life. I believe in Jesus and I believe I will see him. And that just changes everything for me. And the class was silent. <laughs> you know, here's the whole class. We have no meaning with life. That's Rasmus. He has the meaning with life. What's up with that, right? Friends, we have the meaning with life. We have Jesus. And that should change everything for us. Um... Can people see that in you? We should share this meaning with others. But we should also live it. People should not just hear that we are Christians. They should see it in our lives. And I know that here there might be benefits of being a Christian. It might be the opposite. That here the majority is officially Christian. Um, and nobody wants to stand out. So every, everyone's a Christian here, right? But is it just lip service? Do you actually love Jesus? He is calling you today to come to him and to actually follow him with your entire life. Are you investing your life in eternity? Are you betting your life on the resurrection? And friends, I know that Texans love Texas. (laughs) And I, I love my country, Denmark too, but I know that Texas is not your home and Denmark is not mine. Only for now, but not for good. Our homeland is somewhere else. And on the last day, we will travel to that land. And oh, how wonderful it will be. We are promised so much in scripture. A new physical earth with skies that we can travel around and explore and and new bodies without sickness. I'm looking forward to that. One of the things in my body is I have bad knees, so I stopped running. But I'm looking forward to run a marathon on a new earth, right? And that it's a physical earth 
means that it's going to be like this earth in many ways. Just take out all the bad stuff, all the sin, the sickness and death and evil. And yeah, that's what it's going to be like. Look at your life. Take all the good stuff. Multiply it with a billion. Because we're going to have a thousand lifespans to do it. And that's what it's going to be like. And I'm looking so much forward to this. It's not just going to be some spiritual reality, whatever that would be, just with, without no physical bodies or anything, with no fun. Like some people are scared of, especially the, the youth, when I preach for them, they say, oh man, I don't hope it's going to be one long church service. <laughs> it's not. It's going to be life, like we know it here. It's going to be adventures. There might be many of the things we know from this life. Why shouldn't technology be there? Transportation, travel. Maybe even space traveling. It does say new heavens, right? Which means skies with the stars. Maybe we will even drink Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Remember, it's the physical life that we know here just, yeah, better without all the bad stuff. And the best of it all, what makes it good news is that Jesus is going to be there. We're going to live with God himself. And there's one thing I know about traveling to another country now. And that is you can't take everything with you. When I'm going to go back to Denmark, I'm going to travel out of Texas here in two days. I can't just bring a hundred pounds or weapons or different stuff. I, there are limits, right? <laughs> Sorry about that. I didn't mean anything with that. <laughs> <clears throat> You know, in the same way, there will be a security check on the way home to our last homeland. You can't take everything with you there. You can't take your car, your nice furniture, your house, your summer cottage, your boat, your MacBook, your iPhone. You can't take any bank account with you, no money at all. You can't bring any fame, any likes on Instagram or Facebook, no streaks on Snapchat. <laughs> Or all the hours you put into video games. You can't bring any career success. You can't bring any of that. You'll have to let it go. But what you can bring is other people. You can invite them home with you. Invite them to know Jesus. And you can invest in eternity with your good deeds. Jesus promised that God will reward you for those deeds. Especially the ones done in secret. But how do you do that? How do you get those treasures in heaven, as Jesus calls them? Well, let me get real practical here. You invest in eternity and you bet your life on this resurrection. When you give money to the church, for example, or the mission, or the poor, and not just out of your abundance, but as something you can feel as an offering you really want to give because you love them. Or when you, start, you stop to talk with the homeless guy and you buy him a meal and you tell him about your king. And when you do good practical deeds in secret that nobody knows about, when you visit the lonely, the sick, the stranger, the poor, or just when you open your Bible and fold your hands to, to pray because you want to know Jesus more, that's investing in eternity. But do you do that? Is this your life? Or is life more about Netflix and having a good time with friends and, you know, getting the most comfortable life now? Do you invest in this hope? If you do, you are the wisest person alive. And now let's end where Paul ends this chapter in celebration and worship. Let's jump to verse 54. 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, that means when we receive new bodies and eternal life, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Here it comes. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Wow. God has won over death. And we have nothing to fear. And our best news is not just to make the most of it while you have this life. Our good news is that we will live forever with Christ. And Paul says, verse 56, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Meaning that sin and the law hold us down in death. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory belongs to Jesus. And he decided to give it to us. How wonderful. And here comes the epic conclusion. The last verse in this astounding chapter. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers. Therefore, because of this resurrection hope we've been talking about throughout this chapter. Be steadfast, immovable. You know, this is the foundation language. Stand on this foundation, this hope. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, bet your lives on this resurrection. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Nothing is wasted. It will be worth it all. And now, church... It's time for us to respond to this wonderful news. And really practically, I just want to give you this challenge. When you go home and you pray about this or you talk with someone about this, take one decision about one thing you can do differently in your life to bid your life more on this resurrection. And today here, I want to invite you to come forth. Uh, like we did before, you can still do this. And especially if this has moved your heart, and I just want to invite you to act on this. Be doers of the faith and not just hearers you can also come and kneel and pray like i did that moment when i became a christian this might be your day to do this okay so let's do this now let's um, stand together and pray together father here we are fools investing so much of our lives in this life not grasping how wonderfully true the resurrection is. Father, help us, change us, and let us live new lives. Father, we want to praise you for this wonderful hope. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. There is no one like you, and we can never stop loving you. And oh, how we long to see your face soon and very soon. Until then, our lives are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.